Good morning, church. How you doing? You didn't say good morning long enough back for me to drink. That's fine. That's okay. Um, <laughs> no, good morning. Hey, listen, what, is this not like, what a, what a time of worship and like prayer this morning. Is that, is that not amazing? Amen. And now, yeah. And now I have to follow all that, so. <laughs> No, it's good. Good morning. I, I, it's uh, what a privilege it is to be with you this morning. Um, we're in this series, as you just saw, talking about family matters. Uh, who was a fan of the show Family Matters back in the day? Yeah, we got some fans. Are you excited about our title? I guarantee you, I will not be half as entertaining as the wholeness of the show, but I'm going to try. Okay, I'm going to try. You have my promise. Um, but just thinking about this, like series Family Matters, talking about families. Um, you know, being that I'm a, I'm a new dad, I'm thinking about like, what do I want to pass on to my son? Thinking about like what my family has instilled in me. And so I figure I should share with you some words that uh, my mom and dad instilled in me that, you know, set the trajectory of my life. Um, my dad, you know, uh, uh, served in the military. He was in Vietnam and Desert Storm. And so my dad's great um, advice to me <laughs> growing up as a young man was, uh, he always told me, run to the sound of the cannons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had to dig for that application, you know what I mean? But that was, listen, he was, he, he, that, and I have heard that a, a, a thousand times, right, Dad? Amen? He's not paying attention to me. That's fine. Um, <laughs> right, and my mom, my mom's great words of wisdom, she would always tell me, better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and leave no doubt. <laughs> that one has come in handy, um, for the record. No, it's good. They, they, you know, my parents, uh, you know, worked very hard to instill in me, you know, biblical truth and raise me uh, in the church. And uh, I'm very appreciative of that. And it makes me think about all that I want to instill into my son, right, into my child. And so uh, that's kind of the backdrop as we're sitting here talking about family matters, because at the end of the day, you know, family is all about relationships, right? It's about our relationships with one another. And so kind of like, uh, I wanted to sum that up today and, and kind of give us a picture talking about um, God's design when it comes to relationships. And so I have for us here, uh, I have this really neat little find I have. I found this at uh, the New Beginnings thrift store, you know, nice little, little find there. This is a 1930s German-made um, alarm clock. For the, for the record, for those of you who are my age or younger, guys, this is an alarm clock. I know, it's crazy, right? No batteries needed. It's got all these fun little gears inside, springs, and there's, I took the back plate off so you can see it, right? It's got little cranking things, and it ticks, and it's real fun, you know, kind of like a unique thing. It's in, it was made probably in about the mid, uh, early to mid-1930s. It's one of the last handmade clocks um, of the, the modern age in the sense that um, although they could produce the gears and pieces in mass, it took a clockmaker a long period of time to, re to refine and fine-tune each piece so it would fit together and not only work, but keep time, right? How many of us know that was probably a time-consuming process, right? <laughs> that took a minute to do, right? This is, this is somebody's effort and energy in representation before us today, right? That there was great thought and effort that went into the creation of this small masterpiece, right? For the purpose of keeping time. Um, if this was, uh, has anybody, anybody ever used this? Was this anybody's ever alarm clock in the house? Yeah? Yeah? God bless you. That's awesome. I'm so sorry. Is not the world better now that we can like download fun, fun sounds on our phones? 
right? Um, it, we've come to the point today where like, I, my alarm, my, this is my flashlight, my alarm clock. This is my Swiss army knife of almost everything I need. You know what I mean? With the exception of a Swiss army knife. Um, and even that, like sometimes, even that, has, anybody, has anybody ever downloaded an alarm app on your phone, even though your phone has an alarm? Just wave at me if you've ever done that. Some people, yeah, a few of you have. Gabrielle is amazing. She downloaded, um, she didn't like any of the ringtones that she had on the phone, so she downloaded an app called Alarmy, okay? And um, I, I, I find it hilarious because she, she loves how Alarmy tells the time for her, um, but it just lives in the background on her phone and just devours energy. It's like, I'm telling you, she's getting the most personalized ads ever um, because it just, it just lives in her phone. I, I'm, I'm always begging with her. I'm like, please, it's 10 o'clock in the morning and you're at 1% battery. Just turn off Alarmy, you know? <laughs> we become spoiled in the sense that like, man, we have, you know, all this technology at our fingertips. Um, and we can forget that, man, the, 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 the very things we take for granted were originally masterpieces of work, right? Masterpieces of work like this one. And it made me think that, you know, there's for every clock, there's a clockmaker. And just like in creation, there is a grand creator, Amen. right? There's a grand creator. Um, and, and I, I, well, I, who has their fill-ins with him? You got your fill-ins with you? Amen. Awesome. Listen, who likes fill-ins? Yeah? Okay. God bless you. Um, we are two different types of people, but God bless you. <laughs> no, I, 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 uh, I had fun making these fill-ins for you guys. So your first fill-in here, number one. In Genesis, we see that relationship with God and his creation was always part of his plan. I'm sorry, was always his plan. In Genesis, from the very moment of God's creation, God created the heavens and the earth, right? If you've read Genesis, you see that he created all the, the fish of the sea and all the creeping things on the, the, the earth and all the grass and the, all the stuff, right? The firmament and the sky. But God didn't choose to have relationship with any of those things. In our modern world, we can kind of get it, the, the script flipped on us, where the world says that the greatest good for the world is the world as a whole, and the, the most evil thing in the world is people like you and I. When God specifically, although he called all of his creation good, he chose not to have a relationship with any other thing except human beings, right? When we uh, read in Genesis, Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. These are the first words God is speaking before the creation of man, before the invention of mankind. And, his, and these words are not, it's not just that man is made in his image, it's that God is saying, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. These are relational words of togetherness. The Father is speaking of the Holy Spirit and the Son, Right, because we know he's not talking to the angels, because when we see angels in the Bible, they look crazy. Right, they got six wings, they're covered in eyeballs, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a unique experience. You know what I mean? Every time everybody's afraid, the angels are constantly like, don't be afraid, right? Like this is, God is talking about creating man his own, in the word there, right, image, could be said as his own reflection. Right, it's the same word in the Hebrew as shadow. It's like if you put a spotlight on me and I were standing against this wall, you would see a shadow in my likeness, right? It wouldn't, the shadow wouldn't be me, but it would kind of look like me, right? How many of us had, a, when you were in preschool or whatever, you had, um, when they did like the little shadow, they make a little cutout of your silhouette. Anybody do that? Gab and I did that. We have those, uh, we have like um, a little side-by-side -side when we were both in like kindergarten uh, at our home. It's really cute looking. We had it, when, if you were at our wedding, you saw, you probably signed a little frame around it. Um, and it's kind of a cool thing that like, hey, it's like those, those are the shadows of us. 
right? So when God created mankind, when God created you and I, he made us so much in his likeness that when creation were to look at Adam, they'd be like, God? Oh, it's just Adam. That's kind of the picture that we have in creation, that God wanted to create us, not just in his likeness, but that he would have relationship with us. And I think what's cool is that Adam, while he was in the garden, before the fall, get this, this is a cool thing. This is, like, this is a little bit of a deep theological picture. Before Adam, while he was in the garden, right, God is, he's like, God's like, hey, your job is to keep the garden. You're naming all the animals, right? This is a little bit of a job for Adam, but it's cool because it's before the fall. He doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't need a Starbucks, right? Like everything's good. Like Adam, he's, he's, he's doing well. You know what I mean? He's, he is sinless and therefore he's in an incorruptible state. He's an uncorrupted state. And, but the, before Adam ever sins, before the fall ever happens, before there's ever any issue with Adam, Adam d- expresses his one and only desire. Adam expresses a level of need for something before he knew what needs were, before he knew what hunger was, before Adam knew what cold or pain was. He said he expressed a longing for companionship, for relationship. Before Adam had any other needs, he expressed the need for relationship. Right, your next fill in there, right? Um, Oh, no, it's not. In, yeah, it is one of your feelings. Woo. Relationship is woven into the very fabric of our being. God designed you and I to be in relationship with each other. It is literally part of his invention of you and I. So when we talk about family matters, we're not just talking about family for the sake of talking about family. We're talking about because this is at this, like, like relationship is at the core of God's design for you and my life. Amen. All right, number two there. Our connections with one another are meant to reflect God's relationship with us. Our connections with one another are meant to reflect God's relationship with us. Um, Pastor Jim last week shared uh, Ephesians chapter 5 here. Um, and I love it. He was talking about like the, the you know, in c- connection with communication versus conflict, right? The, how the, the difference between love and respect, kind of this flow of, of how God designed marriage to be. Um, and I love that uh, I'm going to re- re-reference that same verse, but I'm going to take it from a little bit of a different perspective. I want you to hear this from God's perspective, because verse 21 in Ephesians, right? This is the one where it talks about like, wives, submit, your, uh, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you would to the Lord, right? And this is kind of the one that like, everybody gets a little, you know, in this day and age, everybody gets a little bristly over you know, because ladies, some of us are like, like, but you don't know my husband, <laughs> you know? And I do because as a, as a husband, you know, I, I'm not saying every idea I ever have is always a good one. Can I tell you that my wife, um, some of the wisest decisions I've ever made was listening to Gabrielle. <laughs> and some of the worst decisions I ever made was not listening to Gabrielle. You know, let me just, I, as a good example, when we were on our honeymoon, um, we went, uh, we went um, like on this little excursion, we could like dive into like these ancient sinkholes. Um, they're filled with water, not, not sand sinkholes. Um, and it was like this really cool like, like history of like, 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 like North America and, and yeah. And I remember like super crystal clear water and like there's an area you could jump off into the water and Gab's like, whatever you do, be safe. I'm like, cool, check out my double front flip. Because <laughs> at 25, I still thought that would impress her, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like she already married me, you know, and then we spent the rest of the day in, in emergency care because I busted my eardrum, right? I did not listen to my wife. So, so ladies and gentlemen, I'm not, this, is not saying that, this is not saying that everything we do is, is uh, men, it's not saying everything we do is perfect, right? It's talking about love and respect, right? There's this image. 
But this whole, this whole passage begins with Paul saying, submit to one another, right? That's, that's kind of how this whole passage is like, like prefaced. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? So that means this is going, he's now saying, we're going to submit to one another in reverence to Christ. This is going to be an, an, an allegory, this is going to be an example of what God how he wants to have a relationship with us in our relationship with each other, right? So I'm going to read this here. So verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, uh, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit their husbands and everything. Again, that doesn't mean that, like, guys, we, we know that we don't always have the best ideas, even if we really think they are, right? Amen? You with me? You know, I still love the idea of fireworks going off in my backyard, especially big ones, right? And there are times I have to pause myself and listen when Gab says, we shouldn't do that, right? There's um, just being honest with you, <laughs> right? But so if, if, if God gives, you know, if God is speaking, there's three verses towards the women, but there's five verses towards the men, right? Because God's response is, husbands, love your wives just as, listen, here's the analogy, here's the allegory, as Christ loved the church, this whole thing is not about husbands and wives half as much as it's about God and us, Jesus and the church. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water as through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Again, we're talking about Jesus and the church. If we get, we get so self-centered, we make this about husbands and wives, and we get kind of, we, we point at each other and be like, well, you don't understand, but this is about Jesus and us. Oh, sorry, I'm getting excited. <laughs> Anyways, holy, blameless, uh, okay, verse 28. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but he fed and take care of, it, uh, of their own body just as Christ also does the church. Whoa, hey, listen, God's saying, it's right there, <laughs> we can miss that. Jesus is saying, Paul's saying, it's God's responsibility to love and feed and take care of you. I hope that that's good news because sometimes in our Christian thinking, and our modern thinking, we can think that I have to fix me before I go to God because God's not going to like what he sees when it's God's responsibility to come and take care of us, right? That's the picture. That's the relationship. Um, anyways, whew, I'm excited. When I, I learned this. I, I lived this verse out. I, this is one of those verses that came real to me one time when um, Gab and I were trying to leave the house for something, for some event, for somebody's birthday. I, I don't know what, right? I forget what it was. But I can remember that I was being a little bit of a diva that day, right? I took a little too long and trying to make my hair look good, you know? I was trying to make sure that my shirt didn't smell. I was, I was working hard to try and like be presentable wherever it was that we were going. And I do this little dance with myself um, where I remember 90% of the things that I need before I leave uh, until I get to the car. And then I remember what the other 10% of things were. And, and more often than not, the 10% of things that I forget are like my wallet, right? My keys, my cell phone. So I was doing this little, you know, I was doing this waltz back and forth between the house and the car where I get into the car, realize I forgot something and go back out of the car, right? Um, I don't always get my aerobics in, but on days like that, I do. Um, so somebody didn't get that joke, that's okay. Um, right, so like I'm going back and forth and I'm getting stuff. And every time I get back to the car, Gab's like, can we please go? 
I'm like, yes, I forgot one more thing. And I run in the house and I come back. She's like, can we please go? And I'm like, yes, I'm coming. Hold on, I got to get my wallets back in there. So I run back in the house and I come back and I finally get back. And she's like, can we please just go? And I'm like, why? don't talk to me as if I don't want us to leave. And I stopped a minute. And I realized that God was immediately took that moment and was like, you talk to me like that all the time. I pray more often than not as if God doesn't want to answer my prayer. I can't tell you many times that my prayers consist of me trying to convince God to listen to me. As if God is far off, as if God's taking care of all the really important stuff in life, and I got to convince him to, to, to intervene in my mess. Right? That my relationship with Gabrielle immediately opened my eyes to my relationship with God. Because I was, I, I didn't realize in, the, in that moment, man, I do that to God all the time. When we read the Bible, right, when we read like, like, like the whole passage of the prodigal son, you know, that story is not so much about the prodigal son as it is about the father, right? We, are, we, we, we humans, we're great at being self-centered. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> well, we, and if you don't believe me, just stand in line somewhere. You will never, like, man, the, the, the fullness of human depravity is found in waiting in line. Can I just tell you, we are never more of a terrible human beings than when we have to wait for something. And God, like, if we pass the two and a half minute mark, like, we are, we are like five minutes from pure anarchy, you know? I mean, we just, we're not a patient people. You know what's funny is that every culture everywhere understands waiting in line. Do you know that, right? We all understand it, and we all hate it. <laughs> we all hate it, because we all, we, we want our needs met immediately. Right? And so with the story of the, the prodigal son, right, it's, it's not about the prodigal son. Like when the prodigal son returns to his father, his father's response isn't, you did what? With how much money? Right? That's not the response. It's not about the inheritance that was lost when the son's prodigal living. The whole point of that message is that his father was waiting for him. His father was looking for his son. That's not the story. That's not, that's not a parable that tells of us that's a God far away. Right? That's not the story of a God who's, who, who doesn't want to answer our prayer, doesn't know what's going on in our lives. That's the story of a God who is intimately involved in every detail. Imagine how our prayers would be different if we prayed like we knew God wanted to answer our prayer. Right? Man, our prayers would be different. If I, if, 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 it's one thing if you right now went to Elon Musk's home and you asked him for a billion dollars— you would have to convince him to give you a billion dollars. But imagine Elon Musk sent you a letter, was like, come on over, I want to give you money. Suddenly you walk in there like you're, you're the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You know what I mean? Like you're walking in like, this is, I am ready to do this, right? You don't have to convince him if he wanted to give it to you. This is what the Bible talks about. Your heavenly father wants to bless you. His desire is to bless you. Just like husbands, all husbands all around the room. Gentlemen, where are you? Just raise your hand. Yeah, husbands all around the room. Tell me, just, just, I want you to raise your hand. Do you want to make your wife happy? Yes, yes right? Amen. There's a desire to do that, right? We should recognize that if we as fallen human, broken human beings desire that for the people around us, how much more so does your heavenly father want that for you? Yeah. Right? And sometimes we get it mixed up because, hey, listen, in this world, we don't always have the best examples of husbands or fathers, right? Amen. Like we don't always, sometimes there's, man, things break down. And we'll talk about that here in a second, but your heavenly father desires relationship with you to bless you. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm sorry, I'm getting all worked up. I'm all excited. 
um, going back to Genesis, if we are made in God's image, right, then what Paul talks about here is that our relationships is an image of his relationship with us. Is that same picture is a reflection of what our relationships, if our fallen relationships can be good, how much more so is our Heavenly Father's relationship with us. All right, number three. In a world bent on dismantling God's design for family, we are called to protect it. Right? In a world that is designed, like, man, we are trying to dismantle God's design. God calls us not only take care of His handiwork in the creation of, of, of relationships, but also to protect it. Right? Um, you know what's funny is every time I turn around in life, I feel like, I feel like the, between the news or social media or whatever it is, it's constantly telling me that the best good I can do for the world is to abandon God's picture of what's good. Yeah. Gotta tell you, that's not the case. That's not true, right? Removing, removing the, master, the master creator from his masterpiece will not make it better, right? That he made it, his design was that we not only pursue his picture of relationship and with families, even with us as a, as a church family, but with, the, and, and with him, right? Um, because at the end of the day, when we try to take it into our own hands, how many of us know that Man, human beings are masters of making counterfeits of what God created, right? That's because, listen, Satan was the first one to counterfeit God's word. And ever since then, man, human beings have done a great job of counterfeiting God's word. And saying, we don't need God's picture of what hope and life and truth is supposed to look like. We don't need all that stuff. We can just get rid of the sticky parts, the parts we don't like, right? It's like if I took this clock and I was like, you know what? These springs, they're too springy. They need to go, Right? The gears are just too, too toothy. They're too sharp. We need to get rid of them. If we got rid of the gears and the springs, man, that'd be so much easier, right? In fact, we can do this for us as a church, right? That, um, <laughs> what's funny is that if, if <laughs> you know what's funny? I hear so many times that in a church, it's like, these, uh, these springs right here, don't you know, they're Democrats, right? We didn't need them. Did that hurt anybody hearing that? You know? They have a different political view than I do. You know? That, I would love to go to that church, but don't you know it's an election season? Or, or they really don't have the same opinions of things as I do. And so what we can do is that we, instead of honoring God's work when it comes to the picture of his church, not just families, but his church, we can be the ones to dismantle it. Instead of honoring God's word, we just jab and dare and dig at it. And we don't let God's word and let God's church be what it's supposed to be because we're constantly at each other. When the reality is that the enemy wants you and I to be at odds with each other. He wants to make it right. Is anybody feeling as much pain as I am with this thing, right? Let's just be honest. Did that hurt? Who, who did that hurt seeing 1930s clock getting stabbed? Yeah, that hurt a little bit, right? Can I be honest with you? For some of us, we care a little bit more about the condition of this clock than the condition of this church. I love you. And if that, listen, that's true for me. I need to come back to saying, God, you created us to be in relationship with one another. And if I'm not actively trying to protect that, then what I'm allowing is somebody to come in and pull those pieces apart. Because, you know, at the end of the day, let me tell you, 
God is, God doesn't get, you know, we get nervous come to election seasons, right? Who, whoever gets nervous at, at um, Thanksgiving table, right? We get nervous, you know, depending on who your family is, right? We get real nervous, you know, because some of us are more vocal about things than others. Um, you know, and that's why, like, you know, sometimes we, have you ever been tempted to print out, like, here's a list of the things we're actually going to talk about with family? Has anybody crossed that line and done that? Nobody? Well, you will this year, okay? That's okay. You know, that's why, like, everything, every conversation starts off with, like, great weather that we have, right? Because we can all agree on the weather, generally, unless you like summer. Who likes summer? That's all right. You're wrong. That's okay. But we love you anyway. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I do. I, I, listen, I love people who love summer, okay? That doesn't mean I love summer myself. Um, right? But like there's, right, we, we, we can't allow these things to divide us as the body of Christ. Right? We can't let these things divide us as the body of Christ. Charles Spurgeon, one of my, my, my homie there, um, <laughs> I'm not sure you would appreciate me calling him that. Um, he said, you cannot slander human nature. It is worse than words can paint. Uh, listen, truth is, it, it, just to be real vulnerable with you guys, if, if all of our sins were put on display, even the world want us, wouldn't want us to work for them. That's just the truth of it. Right? That's why we need, we need a creator to come and point us in the right direction. Not just give us the ability to do it, but make it right for us that we can walk in his pathway. Right? To give us a pathway forward. Um, God gave us a strategy for, for this. Can I tell you? God gave us a strategy for this. A picture of how we protect one another as the body of Christ, as well as our own families. As well as see the presence of God enter the world. Right? How many of us want to see the presence of God enter the world, right? I think we saw a little bit of that this morning. Amen? We saw a little bit of that this morning. Um, and it, it's found in Nehemiah chapter 4. I was a little shooketh when I read this, this chapter, okay? Um, but I love it. Nehemiah is here. God has tasked him. God has given him the vision of rebuilding Jerusalem, right? The walls are coming back together. Um, and Jerusalem is like a picture of like the bride of Christ, right? Because it's where the presence of God in the Old Testament was meant to dwell, right? The temple was there. The holiest, the holies was there. It's the only place in the world where the presence of God was actively dwelling in the Old Testament. It's the only place in the world where you could go and bring offerings for, for, the, for the remission of sin, it's the only place in the world where you could go to get a level of forgiveness, right? Where you could get a covering of sin, right? It was it, without the temple, without Jerusalem, there was no pre-existing example of Jesus, right? And what the church would be. In fact, in Revelation, we see that God is bringing down a new Jerusalem from heaven. In that, in that passage before, it talks about presenting ourselves, you know, holy and blameless before, like, the Lord. Talking about how he washes us, right? There's this picture that we are like that Jerusalem, that God loves you and I in that sense. So Nehemiah is here, right? He's surrounded by his enemies. Uh, kind of feels like some of the, kind of feels like social media today. Amen. <laughs> um, he's surrounded by his enemies. And uh, so it says right here, picking up in Nehemiah chapter 11, uh, and our adversaries, adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Right? That's intense language. Um, so it was uh, that the, the Jews that were among, that were near the, the enemies of, of uh, Nehemiah, they said they came uh, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. 
That's the warning that Nehemiah gets. So Nehemiah has this inspiration from the Lord. And this is, listen, if I'm Nehemiah in this moment, I'm surrounded by my enemies, can I tell you the way I'm going to protect Jerusalem and the holies of holies and the rebuilding of God's temple? Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to hire everybody I can to guard the city, right? I mean, this is the place where God's presence is going to dwell. We need every able-bodied human being to, like, take up arms and protect the city of Israel. We need professional soldiers to do that. If I'm Nehemiah, I'm like, Lord, we need some 20th century hardware up in this place, right? But, that, but God's strategy for Nehemiah protecting his coming work, you know, pointing towards the, the, the example of Jesus being the Christ, here's God's strategy, ready? This is what it is. The whole world seeing, waiting on Nehemiah to protect the city of Israel, uh, the city of Jerusalem. Here's the, here's the strategy. Verse 13. This is Nehemiah speaking. He says, Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall and at the openings. And hear this, look. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and I said uh, to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, listen to this, this is his words. Do not be afraid of them right? Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren. Look around you. This is your brethren. Okay, ladies, you are the brethren. Okay, you know what's cool is that the Bible, you know, um, you know why the Bible refers to the church as a collective so much as sons or as brothers? Because male or female, whether old or young, we together are inheritors of our father's um, inheritance, we are equal partners in it. That's why it says that. Just kind of a cool little note there for you. Um, right? Fight for your brethren. That's each other. Your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. God's great defense of Jerusalem is families fighting together. How about you? That gives me chills. Right? God chose families to be the primary defense of his coming work. And he chose families to be the thing through which he is bringing about the salvation of the world through Jesus. He chose a family to bring Jesus into. He chose families to spread the gospel. And he's choosing family, relationship today for us to be family with one another. Right? This is all part of God's plan. Can I tell you, um, <laughs> Australia 1932, this is going to sound disjointed, I promise you it's not. Um, have you ever heard of the great emu war? Yeah, Australia went to war with emus. Twice. And the first time they lost. That says something about emus. It's the only military campaign, though, in the 1900s that had zero military casualties. Do you know why? Because who's going to lay their life down fighting a bunch of emus? Right? It's not, not me. Listen, if I see a giant bird running at me, like, you can have my stuff. I'm done. It's fine. Right? It's, I don't care about this. Right? That's not going to be the thing I'm going to lay my life down for. Right? That's why the emus won. But when it comes to us fighting for our families, that's a different level of intensity. That's an area I'm going to lay myself down for, right? Somebody comes after my family, suddenly there's a different level of intensity, right? Like, like we, we go to a different place, right? God wants us to have that level of intensity, church with one another. He wants us to have that intensity with one another. That the prayer, that, that kind of prayer, that intensity of prayer this morning shouldn't be a once in a while thing that happens at church, right? We need to have that with one another. Because if we don't do that with one another, who will? Who will? If we, if we don't look different from the world in the church, what does the world have to look forward to? Anyways, whew, I'm sorry.
All right, number four, we're going to wrap up here with this. All right. It is the responsibility of the master to fix the masterpiece. Hey, listen, we've all felt like this at some point, right? Where things were going good at one point in life, and now everything's been bent out of shape. Everything's gone a little haywire. Can I tell you guys, God's word is not calling you and I to go and fix ourselves. Imagine if I took went into this clock like, wow, all your springs and gears are now all messed up. Fix it, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't convince it to be fixed, right? I need to go to the master to fix it. A good example of this is in um, 1 Chronicles 4. There's uh, one of the sons of, um, I'm always forgetting his name. Somebody. Um, his name is Jabez. Right? And so he, you look at like all like the lineage of Jabez, and Jabez's whole family is, are awesome names like, like he who sits in the field of his own grain. You know what I mean? Like that's a fun name. You know, he who praises the Lord of the morning sun. Like that's a fun name. You know, he has all these epic names of his brothers and this, you know, his forebears. And then we get to Jabez, and Jabez's name is Pain. <laughs> you know that? Jabez's name is Pain. Can you imagine being named Pain? That's your name. And it says because his mother, it says because he was born in pain. I feel like if that's the case, there's a lot more people that would be called pain, right? That's a little unfair towards Jabez. I, for the record, I was there at Noah's birth, right? It's, it's right, Jabez, unfair towards Jabez, you know? And I don't know what it was in Jabez's life that, that led him to pray this prayer, but we don't know much about him other than the prayer that he prayed. But I imagine that being named pain was quite a, quite a blow to his life. And the name Jabez is a automatopoeia. Right? That's a fun word to say. Everybody say automatopoeia. Yeah. It means it's a word that sounds like what it is. Like rocket. Rocket. Right? Like buzz. Buzz. Sounds like a buzz. Right? It's an automatopoeia. Jabez is the sound of pain. It's like if you stub your toe. Oh, Jabez. It's a lot better than most of us say. Right? (laughs) Love you. Um, right? It's the sound of, it's the expression of pain. That's literally his name. But so Jabez is in a broken place. He's in a broken family, essentially. And his prayer goes back to the origin of who he is when he goes to God. Listen to what it says, chapter, uh, verse 10 there. Jabez called upon God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, that your hand might be uh, with me, and that you would keep me from harm, so that Um, It might not bring me pain. Jabez is referencing his own name in his own prayer, saying, I am the pain that I create. I am my own worst enemy. And I don't know what the whole borders thing is about. I don't know if he needed space. Who needs space in life? Amen. Who needs space from certain family members? Amen. You don't have to raise your hand. That's okay, right? But we all have been in these places like, man, I just need some space. Jabez is going to God saying, I need something to heal the pain. Because that's all I am. And Jabez knew who to go to. And I love the next words in this verse because they're so simple. We get no awesome details as to how God answered this prayer. It simply says, and God granted him what he asked. God granted him what he asked. Hey, church, would you stand with me real quick? If you're, if you're able, as we pray together. I want to just encourage you, listen, wherever you're at this morning, Maybe you're here and, and gosh, maybe it's just, maybe family is the, the source of pain in your life. Maybe there's hurt when it comes to maybe 
moms, fathers, sons, daughters, whatever the case is, maybe there's just, maybe there's broken relationship and maybe you're here and, and you've tried hard to try and fix that. Can I tell you, it is the job of the, the, the master to create and fix his masterpiece. God doesn't want you to live in a place that's broken. He wants you to come and let us come shoulder to shoulder with you, just like we did this morning. And when we can't bring ourselves to God, let's have boldness enough and humility enough to let others come alongside and bring us to our Heavenly Father. Because that's what prayer is. It's saying, God, I need you. And we can pray with boldness that says, I know you want to bless me. I know you want to answer me. I know you love me. God did not withhold from you his very son, why would he withhold from you any other blessing, right? So this morning, wherever you're at, I want to encourage you. Maybe you don't have a relationship with your heavenly father. Let today be the day that that changes. Have enough boldness and humility to come up and let us just pray with you. It would be, our, it would be my greatest honor if you're here and you're saying, I don't have a relationship with my heavenly father the way you're describing. Well, then let us come alongside you. Let, let us do the honor of introducing you to your heavenly father. And if you're here and you need prayer for any of those other places, if there is pain or hurt or worry, maybe there's, there's just doubt or stress, whatever it is, let people come alongside you because your heavenly father loves you. And I don't know how he fixes it, but he has the ability to make it right. Amen? Amen. So listen, church, I'm just going to pray and you're dismissed. But if you need prayer, do not hesitate from coming up and letting us be here with you. Heavenly father, we do just invite you in all around this room, Father, to every family, every relationship, every friendship, everywhere that there is need for growth or even lack, that, God, you would come and be our all in all. Lord, I lift up every person around here that, God, as we go out into the world today, that we would be the living, active, powerful body of Christ that you called us to be. Lord, help us, and we humble ourselves, and we invite you in, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Pour out your spirit upon us, and Father, direct us so that the world would see you in your church. And we thank you that, God, you're good and you love us. In the name of Jesus, amen.